This is the Asian Madness Podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things true crime, morbid, mysterious, and odd from the Asian continent. I am your host, Jessica. Hey guys, before I begin, just wanted to play a promo for a podcast you might find interesting and entertaining. It's called Excuse Me, That's Illegal, hosted by Leroy Luna. Some of you like hardcore true crime content, and that's cool. But if you ever need a break and want to check out true crime content that's less intense and possibly ridiculous, this is for you. Oh, hey there. You like true crime stories, right? Yeah, yeah, I know. Who doesn't? But I gotta admit, after a while, all those stories of murder and heartache, well, they tend to go straight to my hips. So that's why I, Leroy Luna, have created a podcast called Excuse Me, That's Illegal, where we'll take a hardcore look at some softcore crimes. No TED Talks on Bundy here. The letters BTK won't be coming from these lips. Unless he had a brother that used to steal library books. Suppose I'd be willing to go balls deep into that one if that were the case. Anyways, you'll hear stories such as the Mad Pooper, a female jogger who wreaked havoc in a Colorado Springs neighborhood, using one family's front yard as her own personal dumping grounds. If this kind of content sounds like it's up your alley, excuse me, that's illegal, is available right now on all your favorite podcatchers. So come join me. I'll be right here waiting for you. Episodes drop on the 10th, 20th, and 30th of every month, so go ahead, subscribe, and prepare to be entertained. Iraq, officially known as the Republic of Iraq, is a country located in the Middle East, or Western Asia, depending on how you see it. Bordering Iraq is Turkey in the north, Iran in the east, Kuwait and a tiny part of the Persian Gulf in the southeast, Saudi Arabia in the south, Jordan in the southeast, and Syria in the west. For the most part, Iraq is very much landlocked by a total of seven countries, which can be good or bad depending on the situation. Population as a recent is a little over 42 million. Size-wise, Iraq is about 170,000 square miles, approximately 22 times smaller than the United States, and about the same size as the state of California. The capital city, and also the largest city of Iraq, is Baghdad, located pretty much in the center of the country. Like most of its neighboring countries, Iraq has a diverse population when it comes to ethnic groups. The majority of the population, about 75%, are Arabs, and the rest are made up of Kurds, Turkmens, Armenians, Persians, Assyrians, etc., Religion-wise, it's less diverse, where at least 95% of the population consider themselves Muslim, and the remaining 5% include Christianity, Judaism, Zoroastrianism, and so on. The official language in Iraq includes Arabic and Kurdish, but English, 
Turkish, Neo-Aramaic, and Armenian are considered as recognized regional languages. Probably means that they're used consistently in certain groups, but not big enough to make it to the official language league. Two very famous rivers in the world, the Tigris and the Euphrates, both run through the south of Iraq into the Persian Gulf. Iraq has a lot of rich culture and history, so let's take a look at that. Ancient history-wise, Iraq is probably considered the oldest civilization in the world, as in the Sumerian civilization, or the cradle of civilization. Their ancient history is very extensive and very interesting, so this will only be a brief intro. If you remember anything from your history or geography classes from elementary school, then the words Tigris and Euphrates and Mesopotamia should give you an idea as to how historic and important Iraq is. But do note that back in the ancient days, country borders were not really the same, or didn't even exist. All I'm saying is that present-day Iraq is where civilization began, but for podcast purposes, I'm going to keep saying Iraq, rather than present-day Iraq. Iraq's prehistoric history can be traced all the way back to the Neanderthal times, where many ancient artifacts have been recovered. The first known empire originated here as well, around the 26th century BCE. Later on, Iraq became the center for Neolithic culture, which included the earliest signs ever of agriculture and farm animal breeding. Since Iraq had both the Tigris and Euphrates River flowing through it, the area between the two rivers, known as Mesopotamia, was extremely fertile and perfect for civilization. As that progressed, the world's first recorded form of writing, cuneiform, was soon invented by the Sumerians. The things that were written were not just your average dear diary writing either, as it contained various research for math, astronomy, medicine, and even religion. During this time, the Sumerians were not the only ones in Iraq. There were a bunch of other kingdoms and dynasties sharing the land, including the Assyria, Ekalatum, Isin, and Larsa. The Sumerians were eventually replaced by the Akkadian Empire, who were then replaced by the Gutians in the south and the Assyria in the north. Years later, the Assyrians rose up and took over even more of the north, forming the old Assyrian Empire. As for the south, the Amorites migrated to southern Mesopotamia and took over the existing city-states. One of the most famous towns founded by Amorites was Babylon, and I bet many of you have heard of this place. Hammurabi declared himself king, took over a ton of places in Iraq and other nearby places, and then created the Babylonian Empire, mostly located in southern Iraq. At this point, Sumerians had gone extinct for the most part, but after Hammurabi died, his empire also died with him, which ended up creating the Sealand dynasty. After some power moves and battles, both Babylon and the Sealand dynasty were seized by the Kassites from ancient Iran, and they ruled Babylon for over 600 years. From around the 1200s BCE, the Kassites were then eliminated by the Assyria and Elam, and in the next few hundred years, the new empire, the Neo-Assyrian Empire, would become very strong and large empire-wise. Land-wise, 
It basically stretched out as far as northern Africa, Iran, and parts of present-day Turkey. Around late 600 BCE, the Assyrian Empire would be caught up in its own wars, making them weak, which gave rise to other people, including Babylonians, Persians, Sumerians, etc. Then came the Neo-Babylonian Empire, and although they were able to conquer many places, they were not in power for long. After some back and forth, Babylon rose up once again, took over the Neo-Babylonian Empire, and became as strong as it used to be during the Hammurabi years. Not only was it strong, the economy was stable, population was growing, the arts and culture were flourishing. Then around the year 6 BCE, Cyrus the Great from Persia defeated the Neo-Babylonian Empire, and the Mesopotamia area became part of the Archaemenid Empire for almost 200 years. Then came Alexander the Great, he took over everything, ruled for about 200 more years. Now we're in common era times. Beginning from the 1st century CE, Christianity began to flood into Iraq, and Assyria became a very Christian location. During the first few hundred years of the common era, many empires fought each other for control of Iraq and the land around it, especially the Sassanid Empire and the Byzantine Empire. By fighting each other, they left themselves weak, which meant they were quite open for outsiders to hop in and destroy them, which is exactly what happened. Around the mid-7th century, Muslims and Arabs entered Mesopotamia in large numbers, and they took the Iraqi city of Kufa and made it their new capital. Around the 8th century, the city of Baghdad was built and became the new capital, and under Arab and Muslim rule, Baghdad progressed and flourished, making it probably the most important city during the Islamic Golden Age. Hundreds of years went by, and some dude I think called Genghis Khan decided to invade a ton of countries, so during the siege of Baghdad, the city was then unfortunately destroyed. The total number of casualties from the siege could be anywhere from 200,000 to a million which is a lot considering this was hundreds of years ago before the world population blew up. Aside from being guilty for killing tons of people, the Mongols destroyed so many historic locations and artifacts. It's such a shame to think of the kind of history we would never be able to see. Obviously, they didn't see it that way, because conquering was life, so it didn't matter to them. As if this wasn't a terrible blow, the Black Death showed up and pretty much took about one-third of the Eurasia, North Africa population with them. Another Mongol dude named Timur Lenk showed up in the early 1400s, and he was vicious. He marched into Iraq, murdered tons of people in Baghdad, and also eliminated most of the Assyrian population up north that were still alive and thriving. This was pretty much the end of the Assyrians. In the 16th century, the Safavid Empire an Iranian empire came and took over. The Ottoman Empire wasn't happy with that, and there was a lot of rivalry between the Safavids and the Ottoman Turks, and since Iraq was sort of in the middle, they suffered the consequences as well. Even after the Ottoman Empire took over, Iraq was continued to be used as battlegrounds for regional and tribal warfare. Now, let's move on to the 20th century. Something more recent and hopefully a bit more relatable. So the first and most important part of the 1900s would be World War I, 
where the Ottoman Empire sided with the Central Powers. The British were not fond of that, tried fighting the Ottoman Empire, lost, but came back with support of Iraqi Arabs. By the end of the war, the Ottoman Empire was kicked out of Iraq, and the British took over. They basically regrouped the provinces, established the state of Iraq, and put people in power for government jobs. Eventually, the Kingdom of Iraq gained independence in the year 1932, and although the British were okay with that, they insisted on keeping their military bases and local militia. I think by now, Europeans had discovered large amounts of oil in Iraq, so I would say that's one reason they weren't willing to let go of Iraq completely. The Anglo-Iraq War took place after a coup d'etat in 1941, and after failing to take back their own country, the British-approved government was restored. Another coup took place in 1957, where General Abd al-Karim Qasim revolted against the government. After gaining power, he was then overthrown in 1963 via another coup. A few more coups take place, and then Saddam Hussein came into power in the late 1970s. Then comes the first Persian Gulf War between Iraq and Iran, and although both had wins and losses throughout the years, millions of people in both countries lost their lives. Then in 1990, Iraq took over Kuwait for whatever reason, which resulted in the United States making an appearance. They basically bombed Iraq relentlessly, which was pretty devastating for the country and its citizens. The United Nations then stepped in, ordering Iraq to stop using chemical and biological weapons during these wars. If not, they would impose sanctions in Iraq, and if you're unfamiliar with that term, sanction in this case basically means penalties for their crimes. In other words, if Iraq declined, they would punish Iraq in certain ways, maybe by cutting down contact, refusing to provide them with humanitarian aid, etc. Of course, Iraq declined, and the sanction was in place until 2003. Moving on to present day, we know of the devastating 9-11 attacks in 2001. After the Twin Towers were destroyed, the U.S. President George W. Bush began to plan for ways to destroy Saddam Hussein and his government. This led to the Iraqi invasion in 2003, and they established the Coalition Provisional Authority in Iraq, basically giving them the right to control Iraq as they see fit. So, a lot more fighting happens, sometimes with the U.S. and outside troops. Eventually, the Iraqi al-Qaeda leader was killed, Saddam Hussein was captured, and eventually hanged in 2006. Now that the threat was dealt with, the Iraqi parliament asked the U.S. to begin their troop withdrawals, which made sense. No point in staying when you finish your job, right? An agreement was then signed, stating that the U.S. forces will be completely gone from Iraq by the end of 2011. Despite the U.S. leaving and Hussein gone for good, Iraq continued to suffer from their own battles. Militant groups were still around attacking civilians and trying to take power, and a terrorist group known as ISIL, or Islamic State of Iraq, and the Levant began to take control of more territories. For your information, ISIL, or ISIL, is another name for what we know of as ISIS. Around 2013, ISIS had become quite infamous for their violations against human rights, such as executions and other forms of violence. This sparked a war in Iraq 
from 2013 to 2017. As a result, tons more civilians were killed in the process as bombs were dropped and ISIS executed more people. On the other hand, ISIS did end up losing more territory, and by the end of the war, they basically had nowhere to go. So one threat was gone, but there's always more. Iraqi citizens began to protest about their state of living, including unemployment rates, corrupt governments, and also opposing Iran's involvement in Iraq. In late 2019, an Iraqi airbase was attacked by multiple rockets, and the U.S. suspected the militia group Qatayb Hezbollah to be behind it. So the U.S. proceeded to immediately bomb their bases in both Iraq and Syria. Many of their men were killed, which then led to these militiamen attacking the U.S. embassy in Iraq. So there's a lot of back-and-forth revenge going on, and if you recall, there was a moment in early 2020 where the world thought World War III was going to happen. Then U.S. President Trump ordered a drone strike and killed an important Iranian general and commander named Qasem Soleimani. Not only was he important, he was considered the second most powerful guy in Iran. Somehow nothing extremely terrible resulted from that, or just maybe, that time has not yet come. As of now, Iraq is led by its 8th president and head of state, Barham Salih, while the prime minister, Mustafa al-Kadimi, is the head of the government. Iraq is a member of the United Nations, the Arab League, the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, and many more. Despite all its political unrest, Iraq is still growing as a middle power, and hopefully things will be more stable for its citizens. I know what you think of when people mention Iraq. Bombs, terrorists, ISIS, a lot of oil. And it's understandable. Many of us have never known Iraq before all this terrorism. So when it comes to associating a country, it's all we can think of. But like any other country, Iraq is not just a bomb and terrorist-ridden country. For one, Iraq's history and culture is unbelievably rich and old, which is probably right up your alley if you're into history and art. If you had to read the Epic of Gilgamesh, then yeah, that originated in Iraq as well, presumed to have been written around 2100 BCE. If you're into traveling, Iraq is not necessarily a bad place to go, but just do your research before you head over. There are many places that are relatively safe, but definitely some areas you should stay out of. The Citadel of Erbil can be found in Iraq, and it is about 7,000 years old and a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Ur is another cool-looking place, as it is associated with the biblical tales of epic floods. One of the safest cities to visit would be Suleimania, I think that's how you pronounce it, located in northern Iraq. It's very well known for their art scene and delicious foods. And speaking of food, do remember that it is considered rude to eat only with your left hand. Using your hands instead of using utensils kind of means that you find the food finger-licking good, as Colonel Sanders might say. Not saying you have to visit Iraq, but if that's something that interests you, make sure you do your homework and plan accordingly. Thank you for getting through a rather long intro about Iraq. It's a lot of history packed into, what, 15 minutes? That barely does it any justice. 
and I sincerely hope none of my listeners from countries I've introduced hate me for being so broad and general. Anyway, this is a case that took place in Iraq, obviously. So if I were to describe this case, I would say clash of conservatism and liberalism, in very extreme ways. Have you ever wondered what it would be like if you were born into a very conservative and religious place, but only to find out that there is more to the world than the teachings you've been taught all your life? Maybe you were taught that child brides were fine, and that non-religious people deserve to die, dyeing your hair and getting piercings is the work of the devil, and that women should and always obey their father and husband, regardless of how they're treated. A lot of women have the misfortune of being trapped in such situations, but what happens when you try and break free? This is the sad and frustrating tale of a young woman who wanted to live life her way, but because it was considered sinful, her life was swiftly taken away. Her name is Tara Ferris. Let's begin. As you know, Iraq is not really known for their gender equality policies, Before the extremists entered the picture, though, women actually had a lot of rights. In the olden days, there were many instances where women achieved things the same way men have, but that all changed when the Arabs took over and made women sex slaves a thing. A lot of them were children being groomed to serve their masters, and interestingly enough, a lot of these women in this environment were actually very well educated. It was strange as if being a slave gave you more opportunities to shine, and not the other way around. Fast forward to the 1970s. Women were given equal rights in Iraq's constitution, which included the right to vote, run for office, get education, and so on. Education was also free for all at the time, making it extra accessible. But just because they had rights didn't mean they could make it the way men could. Education for men was mandatory which is not the case for women. Also, in order for women to vote, they had to have some sort of basic education. Unsurprisingly, men were still in charge despite the quote-unquote equal rights given to women. It got even worse as Iraq became a war-ridden country full of political unrest. More women lacked resources, and when men kept dying from war, they had to stay home, work the fields, and care for their family. School enrollment and literacy dropped by a lot during war times, especially so for women. As for other more serious concerns, women are still not protected against honor killings, domestic violence, infanticide, and child marriages. This is not regular Muslim practice, of course, but those of narrow-minded extremists. It also didn't help that in 1990, Saddam Hussein introduced an article into the Penal Code stating that men who kill their female relatives for their sake of family honor are exempt from punishment. Well, what do you expect will happen? Meet Tara Ferris, a very progressive young woman who was not a fan of this so-called tradition. She was born in Baghdad on January 10, 1996, which means that if she were alive today, she would be only 26. She was born to a Christian father, and a Shiite mother. And if you're unfamiliar with the word Shiite or Shia, it's basically the second largest branch of Islam. According to an article from The Sun, 
The main differences between Sunni and Shiite beliefs is who should have succeeded the Prophet Muhammad in 632 CE. Tara had a lot of siblings, three brothers and two sisters. When she was around six, in the year 2002, her whole family converted to Shiite. Not much is known about her childhood and personal life up to this point, but her parents were definitely traditional in a sense. Despite being able to go to school and have an education, Tara's father was secretly hoping she would fail out of school so he could marry her off. While I don't think he wished this on her maliciously, it's still pretty sad. Maybe it's the way they were wired to think, that a woman has more worth and possibly more stability when she has a husband. So when she was 16 years old, she was set up in an arranged marriage, which is obviously not uncommon. Long story short, the marriage was far from a fairy tale. Let's not forget, she was basically a child thrown into this whole marriage to a guy definitely way older than her. Can't imagine how any child would like that happening to them. According to her and her friends, the man was abusive and awful to be around. Her friends remember her telling them that her husband, quote, used to hit her and treat her like almost a dog, unquote. I know, some people treat their dogs like gods, but I'm pretty sure that's not what Tara meant. Soon after her marriage, Tara became pregnant with her child at the age of 16 or 17, quite young and probably very stressful considering how she probably wasn't interested in her husband, and on top of that, she was getting abused. Not to state the obvious, but the pregnancy was more likely than not the product of rape. I suppose some people don't care and think that having child brides and raping them is totally cool. But we know better than that. The Asian Madness Podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp. Have you ever felt like things in life just did not feel right? Maybe you knew the general issue but didn't know how to navigate it. Or you simply didn't know what was bothering you. Ever felt like you have these dreams in your head, things you want to achieve, but somehow something seems to be stopping you from achieving them? It's a normal feeling, and I've been there too. BetterHelp is a professional counseling platform where they can match you with a licensed professional therapist. It's convenient, as it's completely online. They help you connect with a counselor within 48 hours, and you have the choice of talking to them either via messages, phone, or video sessions. Some people prefer seeing faces, while others may feel uncomfortable doing that. So this is a great way to find some balance without making you even more anxious. It's also a lot more affordable than traditional counseling. And best of all, the service is offered worldwide. I have used BetterHelp on various occasions. And it's definitely helped me through some times where I felt hopeless and I just needed an unbiased person to hear me out and give me feedback. As a listener who's ready to make positive changes in your life, you will get 10% off when you visit our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash am. Betterhelp.com slash am. Don't wait around for happiness to drop onto your lap. Take action while you can. That's betterhelp.com slash am. 
So when I was born, my dad was already in his 40s. In other words, being so far apart in age made it kind of hard to connect at times. Like when I was finally working full-time, he had already retired. It took a long time for me to grow up and fully appreciate having an older dad. And now, whenever I talk to him, I get to learn something new about him. So this led me to StoryWorth. It's quite an intimate service as it helps you and your dad or father figure develop a deeper connection by sharing stories and memories. Here's how it works. Every week, StoryWorth emails your dad with thought-provoking questions that you get to choose. Things like, what was your favorite activity as a father? Or, what was the most terrifying moment of your life? Or, you know, how does it feel to have such a cool daughter? English isn't my dad's first language, but he knows enough to give me lengthy answers. And if you know my dad, he loves to share. Reading his answers have really opened up my eyes as to who he is as a person, not just as a father. For example, he once had to step in to help my grandfather, who was being threatened by thugs at gunpoint. That has not happened to me, and I have no idea if I would ever be able to handle that shit. So after doing this for a year, StoryWorth will go ahead and compile all your questions and stories with photos into an amazing book so you can keep forever, share with your family, or pass on to your kids. It's almost Father's Day in several countries, so look no further. Give all the dads in your life a meaningful gift you can both cherish for years to come. Story worth. Right now, for a limited time, you can save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash Asian. That's storyworth.com slash Asian to save $10 on your first purchase. Storyworth.com slash Asian. Soon after, though, her parents finally became aware of her situation and decided to take things more seriously. They saw that Tara had multiple bruises on her face and body, and although they were eager to marry her off, she was still their daughter and they wanted her safe and alive. They took her back in when she was still pregnant, and soon after she gave birth to her son at the age of 17. As we know, Iraq is quite patriarchal, so the fact that she had a son made her husband want the child even more. The two did officially get divorced, which surprisingly, or at least to me, isn't that uncommon in Iraq. When her son, Amir, was about six months old, her ex-husband came threatening her family. He wanted their son, and if she didn't hand him over, he would bring all his friends over and basically fuck them up. The Ferris family was obviously scared, as they knew this man probably wasn't bluffing. He was already known to be abusive, and his friends consisted of militiamen and tribal members. Quote, They took my son away from me when I was a kid, and I couldn't do anything about it, especially against armed people teaming up with my ex. Unquote. There was nothing they could do, so sadly for them, they handed Amir over, and Tara never saw her son again. This was tragic for the family, of course, not being able to see their child and grandchild ever again, also worried about the kind of upbringing he will get from an abusive father. But what else could Tara do? She was only 17 at the time, 
She was barely an adult, and it wouldn't be abnormal for her to restart her life. Her parents still wanted to see her married, though, as that's something they felt would be good for Tara and their family. She was then set up for a second marriage, but this marriage didn't happen because her then-fiancé ended up dead on a trip to Turkey. Talk about a difficult life. When Tara was 18, she entered various beauty competitions because, well, she was quite beautiful and it's what she wanted. In the year 2014, she won the Miss Baghdad competition, and the following year at the Miss Iraq competition, she won second place, or runner-up. These competitions are known to be difficult, especially so in places like Iraq, because lots of these women who sign up initially end up quitting because of constant threats made from extremists and fear of getting any type of backlash from family, friends, and society. It was not a modest kind of activity, where you flaunt your beauty, and that is considered a big no-no for more traditional people. I guess Tara had had enough bullshit in her life, and for once, she wanted to do what she wanted. And honestly, she was very good at it. Not only was she gaining popularity from her beauty pageants, she also became a social media sensation, or what we would call an influencer. She began using Instagram and Snapchat around the year 2016, and in no time, her number of followers blew up, amassing nearly 3 million followers on Instagram. That is no small feat. Terry wanted to be who she wanted to be, not what society told her to be. She did not live the kind of lifestyle you would expect from someone in Iraq, mainly because most of us probably know so little about Iraq, and it's not an unfair assumption. She dyed her hair a lot, she wore jeans and tight-fitting clothes, sometimes a bit revealing. She got piercings, she got tattoos, she went to the movies, traveled wherever she could, and just tried to live life as an average young person. If you happen to think negatively about influencers, yes, I do get it. It's definitely not everyone's cup of tea, but Tara's fame wasn't only for her looks or the way she dressed. It was also for her views and opinions on society especially when it came to domestic violence, the idea of a docile woman slash wife, and of course, child brides. Quote, All Iraqi men want a woman to serve them, wash their clothes, devote themselves to them, but they do not ask you to have feelings, which is tantamount to asking you not to be human. Unquote. So basically they want a female robot. Tara was a survivor of domestic abuse someone who was forced to marry a man at the age of 16, and someone who had her child taken away from her. She wanted to let others know about the harsh realities of being an Iraqi woman, her road to overcoming her fears and her past. She wasn't interested in being quote-unquote modest or quiet. She was outspoken and believed in personal freedom. In the eyes of many Iraqis, her personality and her appearance would be considered very intimidating and dangerous. But at the same time, these people admired her for being true to herself. She also managed to work with various makeup and clothing companies, basically advertising for them on her personal social media accounts, and her dream for herself was to have her own fashion-related brand. So you see, it's a lot more than just being a pretty woman with cool clothes and makeup. Tara's life was going pretty well. She had tons of adoring fans, 
but that also came with tons of trolls and haters. Plenty of people hated the way she dressed, how it was too revealing. They didn't like her accessories, her makeup, her tattoos. It was seen as a breach of their honor code. Initially, this was used to refer to women who lost their virginities prior to marriage or women who had kids prior to marriage. Now, though, the term also includes women who post revealing and bold posts on their social media. So according to their definition, Tara was indeed dishonorable and a whore. Did she care? Obviously not. Most times when we think of online trolls, we think of cowardly people who act like they're above everyone else who think they know more, who think they're always right. These people hide behind their phones or computers, and that gives them strength to do their troll work. Most times, these are relatively harmless. But what if your troll really hated you that much and wanted you dead? One of her last posts online stated the following, I'm not afraid of the one who denies the existence of God but I'm really afraid of the one who kills and chops off heads to prove the existence of God. The day prior to her death, Tara had all sorts of plans for her future. She told a friend she was traveling to Malaysia soon, and they talked about her modeling work. Tara also had plans to travel to Baghdad and visit her friends. Tara and her family did not live in Baghdad at the time. They lived in a city called Erbil known as the capital in the Iraqi Kurdistan region. It's about a four and a half hour drive from Baghdad. So the day was September 27, 2018. Tara had been visiting friends, and in the afternoon, she drove out onto the streets in her white Porsche convertible. As she was slowing down in a narrow alleyway, two men on a motorbike are seen approaching her. All this is caught on security camera from the building nearby. And although the video quality is awful, it's still pretty easy to tell what happened. One man got off the motorbike and approached the car from the driver's side window. Without any warning, he took out a gun and began firing multiple shots into the window at Tara. The man then quickly got back to his motorbike, climbed on the back, and the two men sped off to God knows where. The car that Tara was in was probably still in drive mode, meaning it was still moving. Tara cannot be seen on the camera, but the car can be seen slowly rolling forward until it stops after bumping into a car parked in the alleyway. There were multiple shots fired, and they were probably loud, and soon after from the camera footage, a man is seen exiting a building and running to the car to check it out. Police arrive soon after, but Tara was pronounced dead before she even arrived at the hospital. She was only 22 years old. Tara's cause of death was due to multiple gunshot wounds, which hit her head, her neck, and her chest area. Getting shot in any of these spots could be life-threatening, let alone getting shot in all of them. Who had done it? Why did they do it? As the police investigation began, the then Prime Minister told the public that an extensive investigation on Tara's death was being conducted and would report back to the public within two days. It's nice that he put a time limit to the investigation because if the police tried to slack, who knows where these assholes might run off to. But at the same time, would that increase the risk of police arresting someone random and pinning the murders on them? Just a thought. The Prime Minister also openly condemned these violent acts against women, 
as Tara Ferris was definitely not the first woman to get randomly murdered, and future events would prove that she would definitely not be the last either. Two hours after the intense investigation began, the police declared that they had found their suspects. The Prime Minister told the public that the men responsible belonged to an extremist group. Not shocking, I know, but somehow, their names and their group name were never released, and the investigation just kind of stopped there. Why that is, I can't say for sure. But maybe the police or the prime minister secretly agreed with the extremists? Or maybe they felt they might be threatened if they took the investigation further? Or maybe they never really caught the guys? It's really hard to say, but their actions make it easy for us to speculate. Like I said, Tara was not the first woman to die because of her lack of modesty and social media presence. About five weeks prior to Tara's murder, an Iraqi plastic surgeon named Rafif al-Yasiri, a.k.a. the Barbie of Iraq, was found dead in her home. The circumstances surrounding her death were weirdly hush-hush, and the final report stated that she died from a drug overdose. It's not impossible, but many people found it unlikely, as she was not only beautiful, she was also heavily involved with women's beauty, popular media, and was also known as a feminist. A week later, another woman, Rasha al-Hassan, known as a beauty expert, was also found dead in her home under mysterious circumstances. She was a mother of three kids, and the final report again stated that it was either a heart attack or a drug overdose. But once again, people found it very fishy. A week before Tara's execution, a high-profile lawyer slash women's rights activist was also murdered. Two days prior to Tara's murder, a female human rights activist named Suad al-Ali was shot dead in the city of Basra. She was at an outdoor market, minding her own business, when she was murdered. So I guess we're seeing a pattern here. Could it be coincidence? I guess... I mean, anything is technically possible. But again, what are the odds that these beautiful and outspoken women keep dying one after the other? And if they were all murdered, were they all killed by the same person or the same group? The Iraqi people were quite split when it came to the deaths of these women. Some believed that they deserved it for their actions and their way of life, as in posting on social media and not being modest about their looks. Some other, mostly the younger generation, mourn the deaths of these women trying to change social norms. What does this mean for people who think and dress like Tara, though? Understandably, women began to fear for their lives. A young journalist, Fatima, stated that, quote, It is intimidating to be a free-minded and spirited young woman right now, because at every moment on the street, someone may be watching you, unquote. And I agree. You try to be yourself and not conform to something you don't agree with, but how far are you willing to go for that? Are you willing to risk your life for that? And what about adjusting your entire life around it? It's not even about heading home before it gets dark, because Tara was killed in broad daylight on the streets. What about staying home and not going outside? Well, apparently, somebody can find ways to get in and kill you, then maybe make it look like you killed yourself. How seriously should women take online threats? Would they really go as far as to hunt you down and kill you? 
It's interesting to note that both cities mentioned earlier, as in Terra's hometown of Erbil and the capital city of Baghdad, are not necessarily super strict when it comes to how women should behave. Obviously, it's quite strict when you compare it to other parts of the world, but in general, women are allowed to do normal daily things like travel, go to school, socialize with friends in public. What they have to be wary of is not the general population. Because even though these people might dislike your wardrobe choices, they are not likely to do anything to you. It's the extremists that can hurt you, but it's not exactly easy spotting them in a sea of people. As the Prime Minister mentioned during Terror's murder investigation, he was dead set on protecting women's rights and lives, so he claimed. But the truth is that despite existing laws, extremists tend to find ways to go around it. And sometimes, it's just a bold smack in your face. Like, hey, I killed this girl because she was using Instagram and posting provocative selfies. What are you going to do about it? The system is there, but sadly, it is corrupt. Lots of women have been murdered because of their views and way of life. And yet, not many people have been found responsible for these crimes. It's also important to note that these sort of crimes happen in many places outside of Iraq as well. We've talked about honor killings in Pakistan, and basically, these crimes can happen anywhere you have extremist or hardcore traditional families. Take, for example, a Palestinian makeup artist who was basically beaten to death by her male relatives because she posted a photo of herself and a guy on Instagram. In May of 2020, a man stabbed his 14-year-old sister to death because she had the audacity of getting a Facebook account. Some of these murders are clearly committed by family members, while some others by members of extremist groups who believe a woman's duty is only to serve her husband and should not be out wearing tight clothing and makeup. Tara and probably all the other victimized women just wanted to feel happy and good about themselves. Sure, they had different ideas about life, but they weren't hurting anyone. They weren't being hateful or harming others. I understand that these extremists have a reason for killing these women, but make no mistake, just because I can understand words does not mean I will ever agree with them. It's 2022. Let people live. So there you have it. The execution of Tara Ferris in broad daylight. A woman who went through more shit than most of us at the age of 17. A woman who was trying to find her happy place, trying to regain her self-confidence, and trying to navigate the world on her own terms. It's crazy to think that in most places around the world, no one would bat an eye to something as simple as having an Instagram account. They would probably be more shocked if you didn't have social media or selfies. Some people who are trying to date even find it to be a red flag if their potential date doesn't have any type of social media. Everyone's different. I respect that. In the end, it should just come down to whether or not that's something you want and not go around killing people for their own choices. I know I'm preaching to the choir, and those that disagree with me probably won't be listening to my podcast, which is fine. It's very sad that so many strong women have died because of their personal life choices. And it's hard to say what the future holds, but I sure hope it holds some sort of respect for women. Thank you all for tuning in to this episode.
I hope y'all stay safe. And although posting on social media is totally normal and fine, please still be careful of what you post, though, because creepy people are everywhere. Till next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Asian Madness Podcast. If you enjoyed my content, please rate and review me on iTunes. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or email me at asianmadnesspod at gmail.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.